0: Grab your Bibles, uh, your electronic readers, whatever you use. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. If you're using the Bibles under your seat, we're on page 980. 980, if you're taking notes in your curtains book, which I hope that you are, we're on page 25, so that's where you would write your notes, and uh, there's two things that come with taking notes. One is you're gonna be able to retain a lot more if you just write a few notes, Uh, but what I'd love for you to do, when you have those moments where it's something you wanna talk about or a question that you have, if you write that on there, when you get into your group, This week and you get to that section in the book where it says talk about the sermon, uh, you'll remember. Otherwise, you'll be like, I know Doug said something that I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember what it is. So if you write it down, you'll be able to remember. It'll make for a much more robust conversation in your small groups. Okay, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul, the writer of this letter, says these words. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for you. And all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending, confirming the gospel, all of you share and God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse nine. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Philippians Thank you for how you've used this book in my own life uh, over the last couple decades. Uh, thank you for the message that you've given me today. Pray that um, you would use it to um, help us to be better followers of you. I pray uh, that truth would go forth. I pray that that truth would be seeds that are planted into our hearts, that those seeds would, would have deep roots, that they would bear fruit a hundredfold. I pray that we would leave different than we came because we've stood in the presence of the living God. Amen? Philippians is unlike any other letter in the New Testament. If you were to go back and and read the Genesis, for for lack of a better word, of all of the other letters, they all come out of some sort of church crisis, either a schism or uh, there's there's some kind of bad theology or there's a church split going on. Letter after letter is written to address problems in the church, which I find kind of reassuring when we are dealing with some of our problems. I just think God takes me back to the fact that even the churches that the apostles started had some problems. So it's just if we're going to do life together, there's gonna be some problems, right? That's just, we can just own that and let's just work through them best we can. But Philippians is different. It's not written to address a problem. There's some corrective words in there, but it's actually the only letter in the New Testament that's just a straight out letter of friendship. This is Paul's uh, closest partnership, closest friends, and he is writing this letter of encouragement, a, a friendship letter. It's even structured differently than the other letters because of that. In the ancient Greek, a friendship letter would be written differently, and that's what we have here. And hes it's a letter of exhortation. You know what it means to exhort somebody? It's to, to encourage them to continue on in the good work that they're doing. So it's just got a whole different feel, but th- there's a thread that runs throughout the letter, and it's this thread. It's Paul saying to them, I am doing well in my journey with Christ because of you, and you are doing well in your journey with Christ because of me. We have some kind of symbiotic relationship that is helping us to walk faithfully with Jesus, and this is kind of where we start with this this particular sermon. If you're writing in your book, what I want you to write on the top in in that page is there are three legs to stable or growing faith, three legs to stable growing faith. Now, I brought a three-legged stool with me. I don't know that you know this, but a three-legged stool is far more stable than a four-legged stool. Actually, if, if even if one of the legs were shorter, even if the ground were not even, a three-legged stool will always find its place and it will become stable. But a four-legged stool or a four-legged table won't. If one of the legs are shorter or if the ground is uneven, the table will always rock. And guess what? It rocks to the Three legs. It'll either be on these three legs or it'll be on these three legs. We've all had this happen when you're like you're outside cafe and then you're on your knees stuffing napkins under one leg, but it never it never works. I don't know why. But you're trying to get that right. That's you got that constant rocking back and forth. Three legs to three legs. So we use the three-legged stool. It's up here just so that it gives you a bit of a visual, but we need three legs if we are going to have stable growth. And the first leg that we have in this is community. The first leg of our three-legged stool is community, not just any community, but sacred community. And I'm going to unpack the difference between community and sacred community as we walk through this. But look at our passage, Philippians 1, 3 through 4. Paul says these words. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel until now. In 7 and 8, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share, see this partnership in in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You can see his his heart connection as he writes these words. What does he say? He says, I always pray for you with joy. Verse 7, he says, I I have you in my heart. In verse 8, he says, I long for you with the the affection of Christ, right? And so you see his love, you see his affection, but what I want to draw you to is verse 5. In verse 5, he says these words, because we have this partnership. Because of your partnership, something is happening in the cosmic world. Something about the gospel is going forth because of our partnership. Now, the problem here is the word partnership on the service. It's a great translation of the original word, but for us, it seems rather cold. Like it could just be a business partnership. You send me money and I do my thing as a missionary and you're a good sending church and we just have a, a good working relationship. We have a good partnership, right? We could read it that way. So, so it could very well sort of be a, a businessy thing, but that's not the case. The word here is a word that lots of you have probably heard if you've been around the church for very long, but the word is koinonia. And this is what koinonia means. It means an intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing of fellowship and intimacy. It's more than just a business relationship. It is, uh, it is marked by intimacy. This word became really popular probably 25 years ago when almost every church that did small groups was calling their small groups koinonia groups. They grabbed onto the word, and so they were saying, we have koinonia groups, we want everybody to to get closer. If you go to Acts 2.42, remember that passage where they talk about the early church, and they say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. That word fellowship, there is the same word, koinonia. They devoted themselves in the early church to this intimate, strong, more than just a working relationship, this is a, a, a picture of, of intimacy, but they were committed to it. They were committed to each other. And so it's this picture of, of sharing your lives. It's a, it's a picture of, of talking. It's actually, if you look at the early Acts church, they were sharing everything they had, not because it was a social program, not because it was a, a ministry of the church, but because their hearts had been so connected that when you're in need, I can help you fill that need. It's all out of a heart connection. You get it? It's, it's something very different. This word koinonia has got such implications of intimacy that in early first century writings, it's a word often used for the oneness between a man and a woman when they come together in intercourse. It's that kind of intimacy. And so the word actually began to be used for that. So Paul is saying to them, I am stable, I am growing in my faith because I have this koinonia community with you. Because we are connected at a deeper level And because I give to you and you give to me, we build each other up. And here's what I want you to hear, church, and this is absolutely critical. You cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. You cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. If you read through the narrative of the New Testament, Jesus starts his ministries, public ministry. What's the first thing he does? He gathers 12 And then he even gathers a few within the 12 to be even closer because he knows that this is is a necessary part of of walking faith. And when he sends them out to do ministry, he sends them out in pairs. When Paul does ministry, he's doing it with Barnabas and he's doing it with Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila. You see this idea of, of community, of koinonia throughout the New Testament because you cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. But the problem is, just hear me in this, the problem is when you struggle, when you find yourself being pulled into something that's sinful, you will naturally isolate yourself. It's just the human tendency. We, when we go through hard times, we tend to pull away from community and isolate ourselves. And you can't walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. I have a good friend, walked with him uh, through a drug addiction for two decades. And I always knew when my friend was going to fall back into his addiction because he would disappear. He would stop answering my calls. He wouldn't show up for our regular breakfast. We would meet for coffee and bagel at Einstein's, and all of a sudden, he would disappear, and I would call, and nothing would happen. And I would always know in that moment, he's going back. He's going back to his, to his drug, and then sometimes he'd come back out of it. Next thing you know, we'd be together, but he, he always went. Now, how different would it have been if he'd have called me up and said, man, I'm feeling it. I want to go back. I want to go back to that thing. And, and, and could you just come over? Could you just hang out with me? What if I called all of our friends and we just stayed with him one at a time for the next couple of weeks and made sure that he couldn't get back there even if he wanted to. But but the first thing he needed to do was just say, look, I'm feeling weak. Can you help carry me? Look, I'm struggling. Can you Can you pray for me? We wouldn't even know. I mean, I knew to pray for him because he would disappear. But the fact of the matter, he wasn't crying out for any kind of help. What was he doing? He was isolating himself. And you know, the one thing I learned from walking through this for my friend is I'm just like him. My stuff just isn't quite as nasty. I don't even know what this just is, nasty, but maybe it was just socially more acceptable or something. But God would show me over and over, Doug, you're just like him. You you isolate from the things you're running from. So the whole point here is that that if we are not intentional, we will isolate ourselves, and you cannot walk faithfully with Jesus in isolation. You need community. You need koinonia-type groups and people around you. This whole idea of, of sacred community, it requires intentionality. It requires that we fight for it, that we, that we want it with all that we have. Now, there's two more legs. The second leg that we need in this stable faith in order for us to do it is the leg of humility. Now, here's the deal. I think humility might be one of the most misunderstood words uh, even the way sometimes people define it, I think, is a little bit confusing. But humility has nothing to do with being sheepish or self-deprecating. Uh, if I were to say to anyone that sang up on the stage today, if I were to say to Evie, Evie, you have a gift. God is using your gift. You are an amazing singer. Uh, and she were to say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not. Look, that's not humility, Right? Because can we affirm that God has given every a gift? God has given John a gift? And, and so, so having a gift and being humble isn't like, no, I don't have a gift. It, it's okay to recognize that God has given you a gift, but it's also okay to recognize that God, has given you a gift, that it's, that it's a gift from God and that God is the one that wants you to use it for his kingdom, so humility is, is knowing your gifts, knowing your passions, it's not about, about pushing them aside or pretending like you don't have them, but knowing that they are all a gift from God and that unless you're using them to advance the kingdom of God, it's all for nothing anyway. Do you know That if you know anything about Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, if you read the Bible this afternoon and something makes sense to you, do you know that you cannot figure that out on your own? The only reason you know who Jesus is is because the Spirit of God revealed it to you, right? Humility is just knowing if Jesus doesn't show up, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, none of this makes sense anyway, Right, that's humility. Humility is just a right understanding of who you are. Somebody uh, always says this whenever I talk about humility. They say humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I just want you to know that's not really humility. I'm not sure what that is. It's probably a good idea to not think about yourself so much. Sometimes we need to realize everybody's not thinking about us as much as we think they are, and we probably don't need to think about us as much as we think we do. But that's not humility. Humility is just knowing this is all from God. Everything I have, everything I do, everything I'm about. And Paul, right? Think about Paul. He's got a pretty impressive resume, right? If if you read the story of Paul, he's the guy that got knocked off his donkey, and God calls him to be uh, basically a missionary to the Gentiles. He becomes the apart from Jesus the best church planter in, in human history i mean he heals people just by walking by him mean, he casts out demons he's you know pretty, right? can we just agree he's got a pretty dynamic ministry right it, it, he actually gets called up in some kind of supernatural way and is taught by Jesus himself right that's that looks pretty good on your resume right and so this is the guy who actually says look i'm the chief of sinners this is the guy that actually writes in one of his letters I I sometimes do what I know I'm not supposed to do. This is the same guy who said, look, I got this thorn in my side and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed that God would take it away, but he hasn't taken it away because he just wants me to know that his grace is enough for me. Look, that's all humility. That's Paul just saying, look, I get it. I know that God's used me, but it's all God. God is the one who's doing what needs to be done. It's not something that I've done. So pride says, you got this, you can do it. Pride is sort of a, pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of mentality. But humility is, no, God has given me the gifts. And that God is going to help me. doesn't mean you don't participate, but it's having that right understanding of the relationship between God and yourself. So in humility, Paul prays for his friends. And he also says, hey, pray for me. Pray for me. So humility always fosters a deep dependence on prayer. Humility will always foster a deep dependence on prayer. So we ask you guys to stop at 9.30. As a matter of fact, if you want to do it now, that's great. But we ask you to set your alarm daily for 9.30 in the morning. And when your alarm goes off, pray for us. And people say to me all the time, it's hard for me. I don't know what to pray. And in selfishness, I just say, pray for me. Look, if a 1,000 people stopped every day and prayed for me as the leader of this church, that would be a good thing. I'm not saying that like pridefully. I'm just saying, pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for the leadership. Anybody that comes to mind who's in leadership, pray for your small group leader. But you're called to pray for me as I am called as your shepherd to pray for you. So your alarm goes off. If all you can think of is Doug, help him not to screw up today. All right? That's okay. And humility is knowing that without your prayers, I might screw up. Right? I need you. You need me. That's what this the thing is. So it, it fosters this dependence on, on praying for one another and, and wanting to, to walk with it. It's not, it's, a, it's not about cowardice. It's not about timidity. It's not about being sheepish. It's just knowing who you are in, in Christ. If you still have your Bibles open to Philippians, turn to uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Actually, I'm going to read 12 and 13. And I just want you to listen for the humility of this superstar Paul in the middle of this this letter, He says, not that I've already obtained all this. Right, I'm, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. They just didn't have chips then, so he couldn't write that. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold which Christ Jesus to, had for me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Do you hear the humility in there? He's, he's a pretty accomplished guy. He's saying, look, I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I strain Towards what's ahead. He's using the same language in the first chapter. So go back to chapter one, look at verse six. He says, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. This is huge. I just I want you to stay with this one for just a minute. It's such an important factor in having humility is the understanding that you are a work in progress. I am a work in progress, that none of us have arrived at perfection, and sometimes we expect perfection out of ourselves, or we expect perfection out of other people, and when we don't see perfection, then we become harsh and judgmental of those people, Philippians 1-6, he who began a good work is going to see it to completion, you are a work in progress. So... What does that mean? It means you're going through your day and you have a moment where you're not kind to your kids, where you lose your temper and, and you say something you know you shouldn't have said to your spouse, where you, you, maybe you do something that you know you're not supposed to do. Maybe you click a button on your computer and you know you shouldn't have done it. And if you don't have this work and process sort of mentality, then you go into a downward spiral and you'll hear the evil one saying, you're not even a Christian. You don't even love Jesus. Look, wait, if you loved Jesus, you wouldn't have yelled at your kids. No, you just gotta say, wait a minute. I haven't arrived, but I'm moving forward. And God wants to show me something because of this. But if you don't have this work in progress mentality, you will carry a weight of shame and you will go into hiding because of it. It changes the way, now just hear me out. I am not saying be complacent. I'm not saying just go ahead and do it and don't worry about it. What I'm saying is don't go into a spiral of shame because of this mistake that you made. What does Paul say? He says, I am the chief of sinners. I still do things I know I'm not supposed to do. But one thing I do, I put that behind me and I say, God, what does it look like to walk forward with you? That's the mentality we have to have for ourselves and for the people around us. And it will change your small group dynamic—if you have that sense of humility. All right, the third leg for our stool is a leg of honesty. And here's the deal: without honesty, you won't have humility. Without humility, you won't have honesty. And without honesty and humility, you'll never have sacred community. It takes all three of those. If you remove any one of these three, you no longer have a stable stool. You may be able to have two legs on here. Maybe you can balance it and get a little of the weight off your, your back, but you're gonna have a rough time sitting on a two-legged or a one-legged stool, right? It requires all three to be in place. You cannot remove any one of these and have the other. The stool just doesn't function. So Paul says, Throughout his writings, if you just go back and you look at him, he, he doesn't put on pretense. He, he shares who he really is. He's exhibiting both honesty and humility, right? James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The NIV actually says he will lift you up. And here's what I would tell you. The primary place for you to humble yourself is by being completely honest with God and with other people. Let me say that again. The primary place for you to humble yourself, if you read that passage, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And you say, well, I don't know how to humble myself. Well, it starts and ends with being completely honest with God and the people around you. I'm going to tell you a story that's uh, embarrassing for me to tell it, but I just, want to, I just want to be honest with you. A few years ago, uh, I bought a guitar. I bought it off of uh, Craigslist, and uh, it's just something I like to do. Those of you who know me close, I'm kind of a Craigslist sort of fanatic. I like buying things and selling things, but I bought this guitar, and somebody who works for me came into my office here in the church, and they asked me about the guitar, and I lied to them when I told them the price. I don't know why. I didn't pre-think in my mind what I was going to say, but I just straight out lied about how much I paid for the guitar. And they turned around, and they didn't know. They turned around and walked out of my office, and man, it just... It just was like, what is wrong with you? Are you kidding me? Like, there was nothing to gain. It just like, came out of my mouth, right? And I just felt the Lord say, you need to go tell them. I'm like, I don't want to go tell them. I'm their boss. I don't want to go tell them. Come on. They're not even going to like me anymore. They're going to think I'm a screw up, which I am. But sure enough, I couldn't bear it. So I just walked down to their office, and I just had to say, look, I, I don't know why, and I'm embarrassed, but I just lied to you. Look, it was hard. It was hard, but I tell you what, I'm a little more careful. (laughs) I don't wanna ever have to do that again, right? I I had to humble myself, I had to go say, look, the best thing you can say to your kids is I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I used a word I shouldn't, re- I'm sorry that you saw me acting that way towards your mom. I'm sorry that you saw me say that to your dad. I'm sorry, I, we just, we're just a work in progress too, kids. If your kids can see that level of humility, then they're gonna exhibit that level. But the worst thing you can do is say, I'm, it is what it is and I'm just the parent. and just you know, Look, Humility requires that we just be fully honest about who we are when we mess up and then we invite the spirit of God into it. I have no idea how much I paid for that guitar, so don't ask me afterwards. <laughs> <sighs> Not the point. So throughout this Remix study, you're gonna be asked to take an honest look at yourself. You're gonna be asked to bring some vulnerability to the table. And if you go all the way back to Genesis, you're gonna see this in this week's part of the study, and then I'm gonna unpack it more next week, but if you go all the way back to Genesis and the fall of, of man and Adam, what's the first thing that happens? He sins, and then he, he hides. Right? The first thing he does is I sinned so I hid and, and God comes and God calls him out of hiding and he, and he generously restores him. Right? But what we need to know is it's our human tendency not to be honest. It's our human tendency not to be humble. It's our human tendency to run away from community. So if we want stable faith, we're gonna have to be intentional for all three of these legs to be in place. Remix is just a season for us to practice developing this koinonia kind of community. And when we do, something amazing is gonna happen. Look at your passage one more time, verses nine through 11. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more That your love for God and your love for one another would grow more and more as you live into this community with honesty and humility and community, that you're going to grow with knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. This is our prayer for you in this season, that you would connect in such a way that you would grow more and more in your understanding of who God is. I love that he says insight. I brought the definition of this word insight. Insight, a penetrating mental vision or discernment. Wouldn't you like to have a penetrating mental vision of God, better discernment? It's seeing into the inner character of one another and of God. It's it's apprehending the true nature of something, the something here is God. That's our prayer for you in this season. Paul prays these words so that you will be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You wanna be strong, you wanna be stable, it's gonna require community and honesty and humility. Let me pray for you, Lord, as we set out on this adventure of Remix, I just pray that you would show us how to build this kind of sacred community. I think you would just show each one of us, even right now, those areas in our lives where we're hiding. We're all hiding in one way or another. It's just the reality of, of being people. Would you show us? Show us where we we're hiding from you and hiding from one another. Help us to just walk into our groups with honesty and humility. Help us to care for one another. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who is, who is struggling with an addiction and pulling away, would you just give them the courage to ask for help? Lord, help us to be like the Axe Church, devoted to fellowship, devoted to being connected beyond the weekend experience so that we can carry one another's burdens, so that we can lift each other up, so that we can walk faithfully with you. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, we pray for you before the services and uh, interestingly enough, one of the images that they got while they were praying uh, was an image of Plato, and they said, "I just feels like God is molding something new in you. If that resonates with you and you want to come down and get some prayer, uh, that's great. The other thing that they heard is there's somebody who's having a lot of trouble with their right knee. And if that's you and you just know right now you need prayer for your right knee, we would love to lay hands on you and pray. If it's something else, physical, spiritual, that you need prayer for, we have some wonderful prayer counselors that would love to just spend some time with you down here. God bless you. Have a great meeting with your Remix groups. See you next week. Did you get your guides? You are the moonlight in the sky that I'm pursuing.